Hello and welcome to the Select Sector Spider Sector Digest podcast for the week of January 23rd, 2023. I'm your host, Paul Bayaki, ready to dig into all things sectors for the week ahead and look back at the week that was. And it was a week in which the market finished down 66 basis points as measured by the S&P 500 or 0.66%, but it was really saved by really strong tape on Friday. In fact, the S&P 500 was up 1% on Friday alone. The NASDAQ was up 2.5% on Friday. And you take that out, and it was a pretty bleak week in terms of the tape and perhaps more importantly, the economic data. We talked last pod about all the housing data we were going to get, some of the activity data we were going to get, and of course, PPI. And when you look through all of the results, there are certainly signs or indications that the economy is struggling in some key areas. First and foremost, the Empire State Manufacturing Index print was absolutely brutal, negative 32.9. We had worse than expected retail sales. Now, the flip side is, is that PPI fell more than expected, negative 0.5% month over month, which is certainly an indication that inflation is at the very least moderating at the wholesale level alongside what we're seeing at the consumer level. But when you look at the housing market and the housing data we got this week, Home Builders Index was slightly better than expected. We've seen three straight weeks of mortgage rates falling, which in theory is positive for the housing market. But existing home sales data, although beat, fell for the 11th straight month. And that's a 34% drop year over year, which is a record. And you go back to the financial crisis, and we didn't see that type of consecutive decline in existing home sales. Mortgage rates, again, are trending in the right direction for consumers, for borrowers. But when you look at the housing data that we've been getting more recently, the reality is, is that rising interest rates, aggressive Fed policy has in fact, put a damper on many of the key housing markets in the United States. We saw some data out of California, specifically the Bay Area housing market. Some of those markets are extremely challenged in terms of the year-over-year price declines that we're seeing. And it's reflective, again, of a marketplace where we have increasing costs for consumers at the price level in, in the form of inflation, but we also have increased borrowing costs. And even though mortgage rates are coming down, they're coming down off a level that is significantly higher than we've experienced over the course of the past decade. And inevitably, that's going to have an impact on consumers and on housing demand. And we're seeing an uptick in supply. We're seeing an uptick in inventory. We're also seeing stories about cancellations of new homes and pre-construction And that's, again, reflective of a hesitancy on the part of consumers to jump in to this housing market, perhaps in the way that they had over the past few years in markets where we saw red hot prices, red hot appreciation, and specifically red hot demand. Now, we did get some sort of mixed signals from the Fed this week as well, which I think is noteworthy. Federal Reserve Bank of New York President John Williams said Thursday There's more rate hikes ahead to bring inflation down to the 2% goal. That certainly speaks to a more hawkish Fed tone. Federal Reserve Vice Chair Lael Branyard and Federal Reserve Bank of Boston President Susan Collins 
basically similar remarks next poli- next policy meeting which starts on January 31st is likely to be at least very aggressive in terms of what they're trying to do what they're trying to accomplish on the inflation front on the flip side Patrick Harker which is the Philadelphia Fed president repeated his view on Friday that perhaps a 25 basis point hike is is more appropriate and the Fed needs to start moderating the pace at which they increase interest rates. So you add it all up and it was a week in which the market was nearly flat, S&P 500 once again just down 0.66%, but the data, housing data, the general market activity data, the general economic activity is trending in the wrong direction. And we'll see. The market has had a very good start to the year. The S&P 500 up nearly three and a half percent so far. But when you look at under the hood of the economy, what's driving this market, the reality is, is that the expectations of a more dovish Fed or perhaps a less hawkish Fed are starting to bubble up and percolate and it's probably why the market has been as strong as it has. The question, of course, is that when we get to the end of the month, when we move into February, when we move into these Federal Reserve meetings, what is the actual action from the Federal Reserve? Looking at the market, we only saw about 578 million shares traded across the select sector spider lineup. So not a tremendous week in terms of activity. It was a short week. So of course, we're not going to get as much volume. We're not going to get as many shares traded in a four-day week as we are in a five-day week. But only three of the 11 gig sectors finished the week up. Energy up about 70 basis points technology up about 63 basis points, and then XLC, communication services, up 1.43%. And that was partly due to the really strong print we saw from Netflix. And of course, when you think about technology and communication services, the really strong performance we saw from the NASDAQ on Friday, which helped salvage many of the sectors in the market at the end of the week. And you look on the flip side, the worst performing sector for the week was industrials down 3.38%, which of course, as we talked about, had been a very popular trade. Materials down one and a quarter percent. We talked about that sector last week. And then we also had financials down two plus percent, 2.16%. And again, financials is a focus area in terms of flows. And again, we saw 10 million in net redemptions across the lineup, 3.8 million of which came out of XLF over the rolling one week period. And we saw another big redemption day on Friday out of XLF. So that's a sector once again, that sees big inflows, big outflows, big redemptions, big creation activity at a level that other sectors just don't see, partly because it is a very popular vehicle for a wide range of investors, institutions, as well as retail investors to reflect their outlook and their view short-term or long-term or tactically in the financial sector. 4.9 million shares redeemed out of XLE, 3.4 million shares redeemed out of XLRE. The creation activity was fairly muted, but we did see 3 million new shares created in XLV and 1.7 million shares created in XLY. So not a massive week in either direction in terms of creation and redemption activity, but it was certainly a net negative tone in terms of redemption activity. Just five of the 11 gig sectors saw net creation. So split down the middle in some regards, but certainly a bias toward redemption activity. Now, 
the sector in focus this week isn't actually a sector. It's a factor. And for those of you who follow us and the research that we do and the folks that we partner with from a third-party perspective on the research front, Ned Davis did a podcast or a webcast, I should say, toward the end of the year on using sectors in a factor framework. And we hear it a lot in the financial media that in this part of the market cycle, you want to own quality companies, you want to focus on free cash flow. It's it's a very popular theme. Certainly our multi-asset research team shares that view that as we move into 2023 and we move into this new regime, as it were, that quality companies and the quality factor is something that investors want to focus on. And so what I wanted to do is just think about what is the quality factor? It's one of those things that a lot of people don't have a tremendous amount of familiarity with. And so I'm just using the S&P 500 quality index as a reference point here. And, And when you look at the constituent selection methodology for that index, you look at return on equity, you look at an accruals ratio, and then you look at financial leverage. So in theory, you're talking about companies that generate strong operating income, net income on their equity base, companies that don't have a tremendous amount of leverage relative to their peers, relative to the market. And then from an accruals perspective, their net operating assets are generating strong returns. So when you look under the hood of that index and the sector exposure that portfolio has, what you end up having is overweight exposure to technology, which might be surprising to some folks, overweight exposure to energy to the tune of about 5% plus. And interestingly, energy had not been a segment of the market that was typically associated with a quality portfolio, but I think speaks to the significant changes that the energy sector has made over the course of the past few years, which we've talked about perhaps ad nauseum on this podcast, decreasing leverage, increasing free cash flow, increasing textured return of capital to shareholders, increasing ROE in many cases. And so when you're thinking about where you're positioned from a sector perspective into this pocket of the economic cycle into this new regime, which by the way, I'm calling it a new regime because ultimately we are in a period where interest rates are higher than they've been over the course of the past decade. Certainly a period where interest rates are likely to remain elevated relative to where they were over the past decade, where they were touching the zero bound and some places globally net negative. So when you think about an environment where interest rates aren't necessarily going up forever, but they're elevated relative to where they've been. Quality companies have been a very popular strategy from a research perspective, whether you look at the wires, whether you look at some of the big research firms on Wall Street. And so when you look at many of these factor strategies and you decompose them from a sector perspective, and then you click down to the industry level, what you end up having is overweight exposure to energy, overweight exposure to software and services, within the technology sector, semiconductors exposure that's greater than the market, within healthcare exposure to pharmaceuticals, within the consumer staples segment, food, beverage, and tobacco companies, household products companies, and then within the material sector, also a bias to companies with stronger ROE and cash flow profile. So high level story here is that you don't necessarily need to only think about the market through a value or growth bias through the style boxes we've talked about. You don't just need to think about the market through a factor lens. 
all of these things communicate with each other. As we talked about last year, under the hood of a value portfolio, you tend to have big sector biases that drive a lot of that relative performance. Under the hood of many factor portfolios, you also have big sector biases that can drive a lot of that relative performance and a lot of the attribution. And so when thinking about your sector positioning into 2023, it's worthwhile to think about that in the context of your factor positioning. And that's been a very popular approach. And certainly when you look at a quality portfolio, you tend to have big sector biases. In the case of the S&P 500's own high quality portfolio, you have overweight exposure to technology, overweight exposure to energy, and overweight exposure to consumer staples. Do with that what you will. Looking forward to next week, we've got some very important economic data once again. We've got leading indicators, which will give us a feel for the outlook in the economy. We get services and manufacturing PMIs. We get a GDP print, which of course will be interesting as we try and gauge whether or not we're in or entering a recession. We get new home sales. Again, after a report that we're seeing high cancellation rates in some of these pre-construction projects from companies like DR Horton and KB Homes, We'll also get PCE, which once again is the Fed's favorite indicator of inflation. A textured view of inflation is certainly coming here earlier in the year with CPI, PPI, followed up by PCE, and then we'll get the pending home sales index. So further insight into the strength of the housing market, further insight into the trajectory of inflation and the impact it may have on Fed policy, and then, of course, some economic indicators on a leading perspective and from a manufacturing and services perspective. On the earnings front, we're in the thick of it. So pick a sector, any sector. We, we're going to hear from companies that are bellwethers in that category. Microsoft, of course, is a massive company in the technology space. GE, Verizon, AT&T, old world telecom companies in the communication services sector, maybe not as influential as they once were, but certainly bellwethers for a segment of that group that certainly is a defensive, more stable operating company than, say, some of the communication services companies at the top of the cap spectrum, Meta, Alphabet come to mind, Tesla, IBM, Visa, and MasterCard, of course, which are companies that will be moving sectors as a result of the GIX change we'll from the chemical sector in the form of Dow. Amex in the financial sector, and of course, Chevron in the energy sector. So like I said, if you want to look at a bellwether in a given sector, you're going to hear from a company this week. You're going to get a feel for not just what their results were in the most recent quarter, but also what the outlook is and what the guidance looks like and how that might inform your sector positioning for the rest of 2023. So with that, I'd like to thank everyone for joining me once again. My name is Paul Bayaki, Chief ETF Strategist at SSNC Alps Advisors. This has been the Select Sector Spider Sector Digest podcast for the week of January 23rd, 2023. I hope everyone has a wonderful week. Thank you for listening. Catch you next time.